Hello, and welcome to I Have a Few Questions About Being a Grown-Up. I'm Annie Middlemist. And I'm Patrice Ciccarelli. We're two coaches helping new adults who are trying to navigate their path. We tackle your questions and offer solutions while building your emotional intelligence along the way. We're here to help. Let's get started. Hey, Patrice, how are you today? I'm good, Annie. How are you? I am doing great. I'm really excited about our guest today. She is a college graduate. Her name is Crystal Villanueva and is really in between that step from graduating to getting her dream job and asked if she could ask us a few questions about being a grown-up. So let's meet Crystal. Oh, I'm excited. Hi, Crystal. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? A little bit about me. Well, uh, I have a background in neuroscience in 2019 and graduated with my bachelor's. And then during the pandemic, I went back to school and I pursued my career in software engineering where I graduated this past March. Since my graduation, I've been participating in a lot of hackathons. I've been competing internationally and been doing really well with that. And then I've also been mentoring and volunteering in the coding community. So I'm a mentor for uh, Code for Community. And then I'm also a mentor for Code the Dream. Wow. How did you go from neuroscience to software engineering? So when I was in my undergraduate career, I had to do my thesis. My thesis was on neural prosthetics, and I learned a lot about the fusion of technology and neuroscience together. So my thesis was focused on non-invasive prosthetics that can help niche areas of amputations for veterans. So I was focused mainly on uh, cheaper alternatives to create a prosthetic and closing the sensory motor loop. So um, every amputation is very different. We want to make sure that an amputee or someone who uses a prosthetic can not only afford it, but can feel that sensation and, and create a motor response out of that. So I realized a lot of detriments in that community included software engineering, and that's why I pursued software. It's also oh. fun. I love it. That's so interesting. So do you, is that what you want to do then for your long-term career? I think if I decide to do that, that'd be awesome. But as of right now, I've always wanted to pursue AI engineering and machine learning. I find it fascinating that a lot of software engineering concepts, the higher-end concepts, are they derive from neuroscience. Uh, like neural networking is based on um, neuroscience. So I want to learn more and develop how we can artificially create um, technology to mimic behavior that humans rely on. That's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, I like sometimes I'm like, I don't even, you know, that Denning curve where the more you learn about something, the less you know, that's kind of how I feel. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, there's just so much uh, that we don't know about the brain and behavior in itself that we're still researching and trying to learn. Um, a lot of what I learned in school was, in essence, we don't know what we really need to go off of, but this is what we know currently, but this is just an assumption. That's how every class started. We, we just didn't know concretely yeah. how um, the brain works. It keeps everything so open. Like it, you know, the possibilities are endless when you have that mindset of you don't know even how much you know of it, right? You could say, well, we know about 8% of what the mind can do, but we don't know what, even if that's true, right? <laughs> exactly. That's where it's yeah. very bananas to me. I can't even wrap my mind around it. On top of that, I think neuroscience is becoming a very uh, dispersed realm. Like I feel like it's very uh, like business, like a business degree can be applicable in many different areas. So is neuroscience. Like I know that neuroeconomics is popping up. And then um, 
like understanding uh, the molecular part of it and then the behavior part of it and then how that relates into different areas too, different realms of, I guess, any career is really cool. Yeah, we, um, we've we done in my work a lot around neuroleadership and how mm. neuroscience affects how people show up as leaders and how you can be a better leader by thinking about how people's brains react to how you ask questions, the words you use, you know, making people psychologically safe and things like that. So that's brilliant. Um, neuroscience is getting into everything. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Absolutely. That's really cool. I think um, I was actually talking to someone last week and they were mentioning how um, as they were an R, an engineering manager for their team, they have to discuss psychological safety with all of their employees and how they have to create an emotionally safe space for them so that they can continue to collaborate. Uh, it's a lot about like power dynamics and that implementation as well. So I think that's yep. really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's really big in, in leadership world right now is how do you get or allow your employees to reach their highest potential without squashing them <laughs> through <laughs> terrible leadership principles. <laughs> yeah, and we just talked about this as well with education, uh, with teachers talking about helping their students develop their own emotional intelligence in the classroom that then allows them to grow academically, that if they're limited in their emotional intelligence, they can't reach their potential. So that's another place that it's bleeding into that we're all talking about. So, so I'm curious, cool. I'm curious, Crystal, before you got into college, in high school or younger, what did you kind of see yourself as in the future? <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember like when you were young, what was it that got you excited or what were the things that you loved to do that you yeah. thought maybe would be part of your future? I actually wanted to go to med school. I actually went to nerdy med camp and I realized that was not for me. I saw my first video of invasive or not invasive. Yeah, it is invasive knee surgery and they're not gentle on your body. And it's very much a lot of hammers and screws. And I cannot, I can't do that. <laughs> so I crossed it off my list. And then as soon as I came back from med camp, I realized I don't, I'm not sure what I wanted to do. But at that time I figured I'll just go into med school and I'll figure it out from there on out. But I wasn't passionate about it. I kept switching. I was like, I wanted to go into med school and then I wanted to do mechanical engineering. And then I was a mechanical engineer major for like a day. And then I switched to neuroscience because that felt like the safest to me for some reason. Um, I just felt very aligned with that. So that's, yeah, that's kind of like where I directed myself when I was in high school. But I say that loosely because I wasn't sure. And yeah. I just wanted to do what all the other kids were doing, which was all these high, very ambitious dreams without really knowing who I was or what I wanted. Yeah. Isn't it so interesting? It's like when you look back, that's why I like asking that question. Cause when you look back and think what you wanted to do when you were going to grow up, it took you going to med camp and trying to be a mechanical engineering student and having those experiences before you could figure it out. Right. You know, you never really just know you have to go do the work or do something to get you to go right or left, like, yep or no. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's interesting that your your experience was very similar to that. <laughs> mm. 
I just kind of had a, a moment just now where I realized when I was in high school, um, exactly what you were saying. I didn't know what I wanted because you have to just throw yourself into it. And I didn't have any exposure to that field or that job. I didn't know anyone. I didn't have anyone in my network who could give me some intro except for MedCam. But aside from like mechanical engineering and neuroscience, I didn't know anyone and I couldn't just, I guess, expose myself. So that full throttle of committing myself to this major in college was um, a lot, but I took that chance like every other college kid has to if they don't have the exposure. Um, yeah. So you brought you bring up a good point. If you don't know somebody in a field that you might be interested in, how do you recommend people network in that respect? Yeah, that's a great question. I think if I had a chance to go talk to myself when I was in high school again, I wish I listened to my uncle and got on LinkedIn early on. Got on LinkedIn. Did your uncle tell you that early on? Yeah. And then my dad was like, it's a scam. Don't go on LinkedIn. That's <laughs> unbelievable. I can't believe. Yeah, whatever. But yes, I would go on LinkedIn and then I would learn to network if I had a specific skill set or mindset that I would tell myself on how to network. It would just be to try just to reach out and ask someone about their background. People love talking about themselves. And from a sales experience background, the more you get someone to talk, the more you get to learn from them. So yeah, it's something that- You're Right, people do. That's why I tell people all the time, people love to talk about themselves. And when you make them feel important by saying, hey, I saw your profile and you look really interesting. I'm curious if you connect with me. I have a few questions because I'm looking at a similar field or- you know, I'm curious if that would be a field that I would want to go into. Would you be willing to talk to me for a few minutes? Exactly. And yeah. um, I used to sell insurance. Uh, so that was our main tip. My manager used to tell me um, all the time, make sure that you get them to talk about themselves, get them talking about their family, their interests, because you're more likely to close a deal that way. So I thought that was interesting. But yeah. yes, people love talking about themselves. And that's how you get to know or learn more from them. Yeah, that's great. So in today with our, I have a few questions about being a grown up, and I want to first start that by celebrating what beautiful decisions you've made and also acknowledge your honesty that you didn't have it all figured out that, um, and that you may not even have it all figured out because as you said, the industry is changing so much that you're really seem to be leading your life from a point of curiosity, which is a pretty joyful way to live. On that also, we also want to offer our own skills and expertise as coaches to help you with anything that you might be thinking about, struggling with, a question that you don't necessarily feel like asking, a parent. Is there anything that you wanted to ask us today? Yes, I have a couple questions written out for you. I wanted to ask because as of where I'm at in this stage of life, like I just graduated, I'm on the job hunt. It's been a long process to find a job. I didn't realize how hard it would be to make it to the end after how many interviews I've been through. And I wanted to ask, when you were at my age, did you feel like this pressure to succeed? Or do you feel, um, if so, like, how did you balance it? My question would be, how do you measure success? How do you define succeed? Oh, man. Unfortunately, I think I identify with the majority of people where it's like black and white, whether you do it or you don't. And I'm learning to navigate the gray and understand that, you know, goals, if you don't accomplish them right away, or if you're working up to something and you quote, quote, fail, um, it's okay to start 
slow into a process incrementally. Um, that's where I'm trying to navigate right now. But normally I find myself in the black and white of you did it or you didn't. And if you didn't, you're failing. Very negative connotation mindset, but working on it for sure. So you said something interesting. You said, I'm like most everybody. I think that's what you said, where you either succeed or you don't succeed as black and white. Do you think that everybody has that same mindset? Um, at least who I recently have been surrounding myself with. I also just moved to Seattle. So I just talked to people who were in my cohort from my software engineering uh, school. And a lot of us talk about how we didn't get the interview. We failed that. We did get the next interview, but we failed that. A lot of like black and white, you did or mm -hmm. you didn't. And um, that's how it feels right now. So your group is, that's kind of how, the, I wonder if it's that the people who are attracted to that industry maybe have that type of mindset. Because I would say my experience is not everybody approaches life like that. Just like not everybody likes the color blue. Not everybody likes the color green. There's different ways of approaching the world. And some people are naturally wired to kind of see things in black and white. And other people might be a little bit more open-ended in, so I'll tell you um, briefly in my experience, when I got out of college, I was, uh, I was an economics major and I also was struggling to find a, a job in that career. And at the time I was like, I just need to find a job so I could make money and pay my rent. So I went to go work for the Walt Disney company. That's where I met Annie. And it was so interesting because once I just got into that job and really loved it, one door opened another door, which opened another door. And I realized early on that if I didn't force it and I, I had those experiences, I experienced different things, then things opened up for me. I mean, I felt like I was successful because I have had a long career doing what I love to do, but it wasn't like, oh, I got the job or I didn't get the job. I got my first job and that led to something else and I learned something. And so it's just interesting how you can look at it through different lenses. And in your sales job, were there times when you didn't close the sale in insurance? Uh, yes. And yes. what did you tell yourself? Um, better luck next time. <laughs> so I wonder if you could coach yourself through your job search as that as well, that it really is a numbers game. And there's someone out there who's looking for an employee just like you, who's looking for you. But the match hasn't been made yet. True. And if you force it and make the wrong match, because what... I believe helped Patrice be so successful is she found a culture she liked and she felt safe and welcome in that culture to grow and went up that way. And you'll know in an interview right away, if you sense this isn't the kind of culture where you feel safe and comfortable, it probably isn't. So give yourself a little break there. There is, um, you guys made me think of something, but there is uh, a commencement speech by Steve Jobs, which mm -hmm. he talks about a lot of his upbringings and how, I, if I remember correctly, uh, he dropped out of college and then he went to community and then he took a calligraphy class and he was so interested in that. But he said um, that it's easier to connect the dots backwards 
as you mm. um, understand your success that way. You may not understand it presently, but it's easier to understand it looking back. And I, I resonate with that and I think about that. Um, but that's what you guys reminded me of in this moment. Yeah. So think about that as it relates to you today. So you can look back on what you've done so far and figure out what you've been successful in and how you've been successful and reflect on those things and really try and get clarity into the things that excite you and the things that you're really good at. Because having clarity in those things are going to help you every time you go have an interview and you go speak to somebody about it, right? Mm-hmm. What are three indicators of success to you? Oh, uh, that's a great question. I don't know if this is going to be a good answer, but it's your to- answer. It can't be ungood. It's your answer. Okay. <laughs> success to me is when, um, yeah, when I receive recognition or I feel good about something. And um, yeah, so like when I was going through my experience at Flatiron, my software engineering school, um, I felt like the underdog. I was working nights while going to school 45 hours a week. I wasn't doing well. Um, the way that I wanted to. I wasn't top of the class. I was really struggling. But it wasn't until I started competing in coding that I realized that I was worth it. Like, I was good at it because I was developing those skills of throwing myself under the stress. And I received recognition for that. And that made me feel good. I felt successful after knowing that I tried something new um, and put myself under that pressure, yeah, to be in a competition. Great. What's another indicator of success? Knowing that I did everything I could, that feels good. Um, I had an interview where I did my best. I know I did my best because I practiced, I rehearsed uh, my elevator pitch of who I who I am. And um, I practiced my technical coding aspects of it before I went to this interviewer. So I did my best. And that felt like a success because for the next interview, I know I'm prepared. So that felt really good. That's a good metric of success too. Even if that interview didn't go well, which it didn't, but um, I still did my best, which is good. Why do you think it didn't go well? Um, my interviewer ghosted me and so did the company, even though I followed up with them. Uh, so there was that as well as the interviewer was really nice, but they left me during the interview and said they'd come back and then they never did. So that was weird. Um, but I know going into it, <laughs> I did my best. Weird. <laughs> it, it's very weird. And it really shows that the emotional intelligence of that company is not existent. <laughs> yeah. So I think, uh, if that yeah. wasn't a big signal to you of why would I want to work here? Holy cow. It was, yeah. <laughs> I think I dodged a bullet, but um, a I lot about you what you're talking about, like culture. Uh, yeah. Speak volumes. Right. In in some of the other interviews that you've had, have you received any feedback from any of them as to why they chose somebody else over you? No, I've yeah. never received any feedback at all. Nope, not one. Even when I reached out and I uh, found the interviewers on LinkedIn and I created this really nice message for them and got it approved by my career coach, they never responded to me. Um, they never gave me feedback. So... Yeah. Sounds like a tough industry. Sure is. (laughs) However, um, 
to combat that, I use like a free online interviewing site where I uh, match with randos on the internet who also want to interview. And we give each other feedback um, because it's a part of like the site protocol where you have to give each other feedback after you interview with them. So I have been receiving feedback from people just in other ways. So, yeah. And what is some of the feedback that you receive? I need to be clear in my communication process and list my approach first before I solve a problem. I need to be able to be more specific in the examples that I use. So like the STAR method, situation, task, approach, and response, explaining my previous experiences through that and being more specific. Um, Making sure that I'm concise and then I provide opportunity to show my audience, the interviewer, this is what this would happen if I weren't there. So giving that pro and then con situation. So I've received that feedback as a suggestion. Mm-hmm. thought that was really interesting. Um, yeah, that's a, that's the feedback that I can think of right now so far. Yeah, that's feedback. interesting. It really sounds like you're on track and I, I do think something is going to happen for you. And maybe, I mean, just in asking, you know, how we went through this, I think you're right to try to live in the grave for a little bit and that um, not getting a job doesn't equal failure. It equals practice and it equals more experience and you're more experienced for every next interview that you have. I also, when I've looked for jobs, I, you know, I have a whole email box full of thanks, but no thanks. You're amazing, but other people were more amazing. <laughs> you're like, well, and that's kind of nice, but what really just, I think you're doing such a great job in believing in yourself and that passion you have on why you're mentoring others will come across sharing your why more than just your skill set. But when you were talking about um, veterans and amputees and, and there is so much out there in the news that the, one of the plus sides of wartime is science advancement with these veterans. That's really exciting. What was your other question? Um, I have more questions about, I worry about maintaining a mentor relationship. So there are people who are so kind to me in the industry and they want to make sure that I do my best and they want to see me succeed. But for me, um, I have a hard time and I worry about how long do I maintain this relationship or do I keep up with them throughout the years or like how often should I communicate with this mentor Um I feel like it varies per person. I'm not really sure how to navigate that. Uh, so yeah, because sometimes what do, you wor- what do you worry about about that? Do you worry that they don't want to maintain the relationship, or do you worry what what's your concern with maintaining it, or do you not want to keep it up? Oh, it's more about managing it, and also worry about being ghosted. But when I talk about managing a professional relationship, they're not your friend. Um, I want to make sure that I continue to maintain something professional and keep in touch with them. So um, that's something that I think has been on my mind as of late. That is a concern. Are you afraid you're going to disappoint them? Uh, Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Okay, yeah. Um, So when you've... You are a mentor. So let's flip the table here for a second. When you mentor someone, how do you like them to wrap that up? Like a thank you letter. I landed this great job. Thanks for all you've done to get me here. Or 
do you feel that they're obligated to keep in touch with you as they grow? Okay. That's a good way to put it. Um, they're not obligated to keep in touch with me. Um, but if they did reach out, I wouldn't mind extending a hand. Uh, so I think that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Annie, I love that. You put yourself in their shoes because you play that role. The mentor is usually the person a few steps ahead of you, right? Somebody that you aspire to be in a role similar to them and, and they're giving you advice on, on how to get there and their successes and what they've learned along the way. So you maintain that relationship with them for as long as you feel like it's a good relationship. I mean, it can go on and it can become a friendship. It doesn't have to, but it could become a friendship and it could become a relationship where you don't talk to them for a couple of years. And then you reach out at some point and just say, Hey, how are you doing? I was thinking about you today. Just curious how things are going. You know, I, I would love to hear from some of the people that I've coached or mentored along the way, just to hear how they're doing. It wouldn't bother me at all if they reached out, yeah. but, um, and it's not the same for everybody, right? It can be different for each one. And I would, I would be conscientious of balancing your communication with an ask and with a thank you. So instead of, I need something from you, I just want to say thank you for all that you've given me and end it there. And then you can always circle back another time, but they know that they are valued to you. Like you said, people like to talk about themselves. People also like others to thank them for what they've done. Um, so that, that old fashioned thank you. And then you're not really obligated to keep in touch with them because you thank them for getting you to this level. Yeah, keeping a relationship with your former mentors, don't, let, don't lose sleep over that. They're okay. fine. Okay. <laughs> Once you've thanked them for getting you to the next step, that's complete. That relationship can be complete. Just make sure you end it with a thank you. Okay, that's really good advice. Um, I hope that my job search ends and puts to a close. Or when it does, I'll make sure that I follow up and say thank you to my mentors. Who Right. And, you know, do you think your job search is ever really going to end in your life? Absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think um, I'm starting to realize that this first job, whatever I land, it's not the last job. Yeah. So whatever comes next. <laughs> Especially in the industry you're in. It's always going to be changing. It's always going to be interesting. And living from that point of curiosity is such a beautiful place to be in learning from mentors and learning what else is in the industry that, um, you know, what they're saying now is kids in high school, the careers they're going to have didn't exist. They don't exist yet. So when you were in high school, what you're doing now didn't exist yet. How could you have dreamed of this when it didn't exist? So what got you here was curiosity and being interested in things. And that's pretty great. That internal pursuit. Yeah. yeah. When you think of somebody um, that you've met along the way that is successful, that's become very successful, what are some of the things that you think help them become successful? Hmm. Um. I think of continuous education, and then I also think of pressure. Um, and, mm. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think 
I know that's not a very positively thought of word or has a positive connotation. But when I think of someone who is put under the pressure or put under, um, yeah, put under the pressure, they, they're going to move at some point. They're going to move in the direction that they want or they're going to slide. And I think about the person like my dad, he's my mm-hmm. number one. Um, and he's put under a lot of pressure and then he pivots off of it and you have to learn how to respond versus react. And that's my biggest lesson that my dad has taught me Hmm. off of that, that I think of, um, and his continuous drive to become educated. That's something that I truly love and want to be. That's a company that I, or that's what I want in a company that I work for is that opportunity to continuously learn. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so like some companies that offer a master's program, that would be ideal. Um, but if not, that's okay too. Just something. A lot of companies offer master's programs that you get into. At least that's been my experience that, that once you get in, especially big companies, once you get into a big company, it's, it's easy to find that. How do you think um, building relationships with people contributes to success? I think it also deals with, um, or I guess I'll mention this, attitude is a lot of, or attitude is gratitude. I think that's the saying. And I'm really gracious and thankful for all the relationships that I have in my life. Mm -hmm. Is being able to talk to that person and share my experiences with them and they share their experiences with me develops that form of rapport. And then I can not only learn from them, but learn how to be better for myself too, as we share that experience or our experience experiences. Um, When I think of um, maintaining my relationships with people and how that, I'm sorry, did you say benefits me or helps me? Yeah, how that contributes to success. Okay. Yeah, I think, yeah, I learn so much when I talk to people, when I listen to those who have more experience than me, they share a lot about what they wish they did or didn't. And that leads to my drive too, or it bleeds Mm -hmm. into my my path of where I want to pivot. So I think about it like that. That's good. Annie, how would you answer that question? I'm curious. About how relationships impact my career? How impact success in general? Oh, um, I believe the more relationships you have, the more you learn to define success. Um, If success were money in the bank, a number on a salary, it would still, that could be a very lonely example of success. If success is landing in a group of like-minded people, and I don't mean you believe in all the things, but you all kind of have the same vision for where you want to get, that is success to me because it doesn't feel like work. Mm -hmm. And to me, I think success is landing in a place where you love what you're doing those 10 hours of the day. And if you, if you work for something beyond the paycheck, your happiness factor and your satisfaction, satisfaction factor goes up significantly in happiness and, and life satisfaction. So um, by having those relationships, I think it feeds more than your bank account. And that makes for a better life. Yeah. A happier life, more fun life. I asked that question because I think back on all the people that I've met working both in corporate America and outside corporate America. And I think about 
the ones that are most successful. And oftentimes the ones, the people who are most successful are the people who get along with people Mm -hmm. really well. Like they invest in other people's, they invest in relationships. They, like we were talking, they want to get to know people. They, um, they ask questions, they're really curious about the other people. They make other people feel important and they just connect with other people. And they might not be the person with the highest degree or the most letters behind their name. And sometimes those people are the ones who get further because they know how to deal with people. And I just think that that is so important to balance as much as I totally agree with you, lifelong learning, continuing to strive for further education, because in your field that changes all the time, Crystal, that's so important. But trying to invest as much time into building relationships and really trying to learn about somebody else and just be curious about them for the sake of curiosity and asking questions when you can connect with somebody like that, they just naturally like you more and they'll want to put you up for, you know, something else because they know they want to hang out with you. <laughs> and they know you have a strong sense of character and it's something else that we need to work on in those relationships is, am I being loyal to myself and my values and my character? And I think you're really going to find that. I think you're going to land just fine, Crystal. Thank you. I hope. <laughs> I believe in it. Um, we believe made, in you. Thank you. Um, you guys made me think of something that it's been on my mind for a little bit. Uh, whenever I go into my collaborative projects or I compete, I've noticed that the most successful teams are the one where all my team members, I are. I try to make an environment for all my team members where they have at least a voice where they can contribute. So I call them out and I'm like, what do you think about this? I want to know what's your opinion on this? So on and so forth. Um, how can I help you in this regard? That Those teams that I've managed are the ones that are always the most successful versus the ones that are selfishly placed where a team member doesn't really want to contribute to a collaborative vision. It's more about a unified um, directive, I guess. They just want to do what they want. They don't want to help the team out or are interested in knowing the team at all. Mm, um, interesting. But once I like put my foot down and I want to make sure that everyone has a voice and I want to get to know everyone and make sure that we're on the same page for what we will do next, it seems to be the most successful response or result out of that. So use that example if anybody ever asks you to, to describe a situation where you've been a leader, because those are great leadership skills right there being able to bring a team together, ask questions, make sure that everybody's voice is heard, that it's collaborative. Those are, those are natural leadership skills. And you've already identified that your most successful teams have worked that way. So, and you've seen that when they haven't worked that way, how you're not as successful. So that's a great example you should put in your back pocket when, if anybody asks you about being a leader. 100%. That's okay. awesome. Yeah, for sure. I've been I've been practicing my behavioral interviews and trying to buff up on my examples specifically. So I'll make sure I remember that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. You're going to be very successful, Crystal. Yeah. Thank you. So um, what are your takeaways from this conversation today? 
Positivity. Um, I feel like I've been really grinding and putting my nose in the book and been working really hard, but it's been a long time since I've had a, a talk like this. And I'm really thankful for that because a lot of this was revamping and reshaping my perspective for how I've been viewing the job hunt right now. It's been black and white, navigating the gray, obviously, but on top of that, um, just a reminder that right now I'm in the moment and I need to not be so hard on myself. And there's right. different ways. I really like what you guys said earlier about how experience, the more experience you have, it defines your definition for success. And right now, um, as I am young and really trying to get, a, get into the industry, um, I'm curious to see what my definition of success is later on. And I identify as a people person and I want to be there for my community wherever I uh, end up in. And um, I think you're right. I think when I spend eight hours a day, nine to five with people five days a week, I want to make sure that I'm aligned with my community and I can have those people skills necessary to not only develop my network, but continue to be happy and define that to um, whoever I interact with. Um, I'm not, I guess what I'm trying to say is it makes me think of success and people skills. I'm trying to understand that balance between the two. And that's something that is huge takeaway today that I want to learn more about. I'm so glad. And, and when you keep saying what I keep hearing from you is when I get into the industry, I'm interested about getting into the industry. Crystal, you're in the industry. You've arrived. <laughs> you're mentoring. You've been doing this work with volunteer, with your hackathons, with mentoring others. So maybe shift your perspective when you're talking about getting into the industry. Say, I'm ready for my next phase in the industry. I'm ready for my next steps in this industry. You're in the industry. You're here. You've arrived. You've done it. So um, celebrate where you are. You're much further than other candidates, I'm sure. And say, change your frame of thinking that you're not getting into it. You're ready to go to the next phase in it. And I think you might start to respect yourself and have those interviewers respect you a little more too. Okay. You've done a lot. Thank you. Yeah. I've been really trying to, I've been, I've been trying everything, I guess, actually. It will and pay you've off. Done it. Yeah. Yeah. It'll pay off. The best thing you can do is just try. So you're right. I hope it will pay off. Uh, it's just a waiting game. Um, yeah. Yes, and we're both going to make sure we friend you on LinkedIn so that we can see when you make your big announcements for your next step. Oh, yes, please. I'd love to keep yeah. in touch. Yeah, we would too. Well, thank you, Crystal. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Absolutely. We'd love to have you back again. Let's, let's you know, we'll, we'll reach out to you in a few months and see how it's going because I know people are going to be interested in learning more about you and they'll want to circle back. So. If you have a question and you're not sure who to ask, you can ask us. You can email us at I have a few questions podcast at gmail.com. Or you can contact us through Instagram. Just DM us at I have a few questions podcast. We would love to hear from you.